I turned my house into a gallery. So now, when guests, even friends came, who didn't buy us? Because they were my friends that thought they were privileged to, I could dash them, you know, just give it to them as a gift or something. Now, when they came to my house, everybody wanted their house to look like this. So for it to look like this, you have to buy from me. You know you're getting on in years when you start saying things like, Remember when? Today, mine starts like this. Remember when people believed that work was the thing you got paid to do during office hours and passion was the unpaid fun stuff you did in your free time? It might seem unthinkable, but this concept of turning your passion into profit is a fairly new phenomenon. Hello and thank you for tuning into this episode of Hungry Woman at Work. I'm Navelia Malloy and if it's your first time listening... This is the podcast for the woman who wants to thrive in whatever work she's doing without losing her soul. And that work can be in the boardroom or in the classroom, the lab or your home office. We celebrate ordinary women who are thriving and keeping their souls in check. Now, when I was a child, one of the things I really wanted to be when I grew up was an actress. I took acting classes after school and I was in numerous school plays, operettas, musicals, I Stedfords, you name it. I remember when I told my parents that I wanted to become an actress for a living. They soberly advised me, darling, please first complete your studies and then get a real job. And then you can always take up acting as a hobby on the side. Acting, they said, especially in South Africa, was just not a viable career. When you hear that response now, in 2019, you might think that's pretty harsh, right? After all, I mean, we're supposed to tell our kids, you can be whatever you want to be. But I remember when passion and profit were not always part of the same WhatsApp group. I mean, we were told to get a stable job and then be grateful for their job and then hold on to their job for dear life for as long as they were willing to keep you there. That's what we were told. Looking back on my life now, I'm actually grateful for my parents' advice. So thanks, mom and dad. But I absolutely love hearing about people who've always had their hobby as their nine to five. So I was really excited when I was first introduced to our guest today. Miyabo Enyadike, a woman who makes money off her passion, which happens to be art. How cool is that? In fact, she describes herself as an artpreneur. Miyabo is originally from Nigeria, but has lived in South Africa for a number of years and travels between the two countries with her work. This woman knows how to get by on a little sleep. Whoa. She tells us how she's made a living from her passion as well as what Nigerian women can teach us all about work ethic and innovation. Take a listen to hear how you can turn your craft into a career. Hello, Miyabo Enyadike, and thank you for joining us on this rainy day on Hungry Women at Work. Thank you so much for having me. So you have just flown in from Lagos at 2 a.m. today, um, gone to a clinic um, to take care of a child who's not well. um, And then there are two others who are well that you also needed to sort out. And then straight here to our studio for this interview. 
Um, that is called planning and scheduling your life like nobody's business. <laughs> so we'll speak a bit later about your tips for how you keep your household in check and manage to do all of that in one go. Um, you define yourself as an entrepreneur. Yeah. I mean, thank you for exposing me to a new word. But for our listeners, what, what is an entrepreneur? An entrepreneur is thanks for having me so it's a, it's a pleasure and, and I'm truly honored to be here so an entrepreneur is an artist that extends their art outside just fine art or outside visual art now you take your art and you collaborate with companies that need your art on their products so that's what I do so now you're not only an artist you're entrepreneurial Meaning you're selling your art in different ways, aside it being framed, painted and framed or, you know. So an entrepreneur is someone who does that. For instance, um, an artist who creates an album cover, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's an entrepreneur. Ah, yes. The, the designs okay. you see on, on perfume boxes and stuff are created by, by artists. Sure. So that person has extended their art or a company might, you know, send their buyers. They have who they call buyers or researchers. Go search for artists with certain kind of colors or art style. And we need that because, you know, it looks like something that the company might need. And they approach you to say, can we use your art on our products that are already manufactured, but we just need those those designs on them. And so that makes you an entrepreneur because you earn a commission on that. And I mean, for many people, they think art is really not a, a l- lucrative or a profitable career. So is this a way of using art to actually monetize your gift? Yes, it is. And, and it is one of the easiest way because it is quite difficult to sell actual art. Yeah, yeah. It is because I'm in the business. So I know and I've been in the business for 27 years. Sure. So I can tell you it is easier when you monetize it. In this way, either on products, um, beat fashion, um, household products, um, what you call them, furniture, design, you just put it in there. So that way you get a stipend, you know, at the end of the month from sales with whomever you're collaborating with. Yeah. Right. Sure. Very interesting. And was this always what you wanted to do? Was it something that you knew that you could use your art to make money? Um, I mean, what about those artists out there who are still struggling right now? Uh, what kind of insights could you give them based on your 27 years? Yeah, um, first of all, I read Fine and Applied Arts. So I have a degree in Fine and Applied Arts, degree honors, since 1992. Wow. So I, first of all, sold arts for other artists. Okay. So I owned okay. galleries from you know the different towns that I lived in. So I sold art. So I already knew the business first. And then... When we moved to Johannesburg 10 years ago, I couldn't open a gallery because of all the bottlenecks and stuff. So that was when I started drawing. Now I decided to say, okay, follow your career and stop being a curator or an arts um, dealer. And so I decided to start drawing my own. And it was when I started drawing my own that I now went you know, online to say, how do I sell my art? And that was <laughs> when it popped out to me that it wasn't, art wasn't, selling as in selling the real art the people were actually making more money monetizing their art in little ways and so i wrote to several companies abroad people shouldn't be afraid just write is yes or no okay and those who loved replied those who didn't like 
not that they were rude, but they just said, you know, it doesn't fit our brand, our brand or, you know, you can try this other brand. And that was when it, it uh, came up. And so I have online stores that are on different platforms that are actually operated from the U.S., I haven't seen the companies before. I don't know what they look like. Whoa. But I get Whoa. paid every time somebody buys my art that is on their product. Sure. Yeah. So um, what, I mean, you've now been in the official game of running your own thing for a number of years. What three things do you wish that you knew, um, you knew that you know now when you started? Focus. One, I should have been more focused because I wasn't. I wasn't focused. Um, when I say I wasn't focused, I was into too many things like, you know, selling for this, dealing for that, running exhibitions for that, curating for that. So it was too much. And then the second one is know your client base. Who are they? What do they want? Keep their details. That I never did. I took buyers for granted. If you come to my gallery and you buy art, okay. You know, I didn't know you have to keep pursuing because you have to keep the interest of the buyer wet. That's the, it just has to be wet. Yes. <laughs> Meaning every month or two, you send them something, you know, in their email box to say, this is what is new and all that. I didn't know that. And then the third one was, I wasn't prepared. You know, if I look back now to say, should I advise myself? I would say, be prepared, do your research and understand that the world is global. There's nothing like African art, European art, uh, Asian art. Yes. No. Yes. No. Art, you know, supersedes your, your, your talent, supersedes all that. Come on. I didn't know that because I, you know, I just sold within Nigeria, you know, within, you know, that. I didn't know that art was bigger than the way I saw it. So as an entrepreneur, someone who's been running your own thing for a number of years, there've obviously been setbacks and um, so-called failures along the way. Do you want to share some of those and what you've learned through those experiences? Yeah. The first um, very bad experience I had was when there was a huge storm, uh, my store in Lagos, and the roof collapsed in. Huh. And then... Um, and people's um, art that I was selling was destroyed and I had to pay everybody. What? Yeah. So that... Wow. Yes. And people were messless about it. That was a very, very bad um, experience. And so I Yo. moved... Yeah. Yo. How did I get to write? It was I simply moved to my house. I moved everything to my house, what was left, what I could salvage. And I started um, selling um, art from my house. And prior to then... I didn't know that you could actually sell art from your house. I thought you had okay, to own a gallery. Okay. So, so the negative introduced a positive. So what I did was I turned my house into a gallery. So now when guests, even friends came, who didn't buy art because they were my friends that thought they were privileged to, I could dash them, you know, just give it to them as a gift or something. <laughs> now when they came to my house, everybody wanted their house to look like this. So for it to look like this, you have to buy from me. Wow. So now I was wow. now selling from my from my house and pieces were off. So everything in my house was up for sale, even the seats. <laughs> so because I had I had huge debt to pay. I had very huge debt to pay and I paid for a very long time. So so that and that has been the format for me even here. I sell from my house. Yo, okay, that's yeah. I'm just trying to think of it. <laughs> I mean, that's entrepreneurship 101 at its yeah. best day. Eh? Um, failing forward and learning from it. 
But so uh, that struggling artist right now who's feeling like, oh, you know, I'm so gifted, I'm so talented, I've got all these pieces, but I'm just not seeing any money from it. What would you say to them right now? Um, what I would say to them right now is the internet is your friend. <laughs> you do not need people. You need the internet people. Those people that you don't see, that you don't know, that you don't have to market hugely to. This is how I see the platforms. Facebook, for me, is your character. Okay. That's how I see it. Okay. Instagram is your creativity. Hmm. Twitter, your emotions. Okay. Okay. So when you have these three, you now say, where do I put my talent? My creativity. You go to Instagram. You put your proper art. It's not about you. Nobody wants to know you're an artist. They want to see what you're doing. Yes. You don't have to have people following you. I don't have too many followers on Instagram. But if I post something, you see the number of people who go and like it. Sure. From all over the world. So you put your art. Every single day, you put something that has to do with your creativity on Instagram. And by the third month, you're going to get a gallery or someone that is going to ask you, then you have your emotions. Why did you do this? Why did you create this art? You go to the art groups on Twitter and you connect with those art groups and you tell them just a brief one line or two lines, the story behind that art. You're going to get people. Then Facebook, be consistent. Your character, because if you want to go anywhere as an artist or travel anywhere, the first thing they're going to check is your Facebook page. Sure. Nobody sure, wants to sure. see the kids running up and down, <laughs> mixed with your art. You're confusing your audience. Come on. Because you never know who has gone to check you. So I get invited for um, exhibitions all over the world because I have crafted my persona in wow. such a way that it's difficult to know if I'm married. You can't tell if I have kids. Do you get what I'm saying? I, I mean, I actually, I actually want to ve like verify that because I know when I was um, checking you out online, I was like, okay, nothing about a husband. Um, I know you have a husband because I've met him before. Uh, I know they must be kids, but I mean, this woman is serious about her craft. And I, I, I can just, I can actually salute you on that because I've seen that your messaging is quite consistent. I know art is your brand. Yeah. So you don't go out of it. That way you become very attractive okay. to galleries, to fa art fairs, to art scholars, to art students, to even art teachers. Because people want to know why or how are you doing this. Then Pinterest, good. Pinterest, what people don't know about Pinterest, Pinterest is actually a search engine. It's like Google. Yes. But it's a yes. search engine for design. Art, creativity ideas creativity yes. and all that so yeah. you have about 150 million people search pinterest every day yeah yes the first two arts i sold from sachi my sachi online gallery was bought from pinterest wow and they don't care who you are what you are why you are they just pay you your dollars <laughs> <laughs> but it's because they have gone to check you on pinterest and then they left pinterest and they went to google you because they need yeah. to know whose art are they buying and you're consistent in yourself. So for me, that is the advice I would give to upcoming artists. No one's going to, you are not, nobody's going to hand you nothing. Hmm. 
Very, very good. No, I like that attitude. And uh, I mean, I was reading an article the other day and I wanted to ask you about it. Um, it was just on the state of women entrepreneurs in South Africa. Uh, it's from Entrepreneur Mag. It says, a higher percentage of women who do start their own ventures do so out of necessity. Whereas for South African men, on the other hand, they are more likely to, to start a business in response to an opportunity. So I just want to hear your thoughts on that because just this, there's a there's a mindset that you're speaking to here. You know, yeah. no one's going to give you anything. Yes. Um, but how do we how do we make that translation from that understanding to it actually changing the way we work, the way we do business? First and foremost, um, let me start with the with the with the the male aspect, which is the the opportunity one. When you do. A business because there's an opportunity for it. When that opportunity fades, then what next? Yo. That means you're seasonal, or what do they call them? Um, there's a name they call cereal. <laughs> cereal <laughs> e entrepreneur. And that means you're not a serious business person. Yeah. Simple. Then for the, f the, the, the women out of necessity, yes, most women, most women do things out of necessity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm one of those. I would say that I do. I you know, started the art business and then the admirable aspect out of necessity. And that was because I came to a country where I couldn't walk because my husband was walking. Oh, okay. I couldn't do anything. And I said to myself, okay, I can't be flying back and forth to my gallery in Lagos. Why don't I just focus and see what I can bring out for myself? And then I started painting. I said, you're an artist. Stop selling other people's work. And then I started doing my work and then went and checked out and said, okay, this and this and this. Then I know I can support myself. I can support my husband. I can support my kids. And then I can support my career from a different angle. So that aspect of necessity, I think I support that. Mm -hmm. I do. Mm -hmm. I think it's right. Mm -hmm. But the opportunity one is what I, I don't, I don't, yeah. Because when that opportunity is no more, then what next? Sure. So you actually think that the pull of the necessity can sometimes be stronger yes. than just yes. watching an opportunity. Yes. Hmm, very good. Very good perspective. Um, now, I know you, you are from Lagos and you, you spend a lot of time traveling between the two countries. How is life different for um, women in business and women entrepreneurs in Nigeria? Are there similarities and differences between there and in South Africa? Um, what can the two learn from each other? The one thing I would say for both, they're both strong women. Mm. The ones here and the ones there. That's what <laughs> I noticed. They're strong. Strong black women. Now, the difference is structure. Okay. It is well structured here. Mm. No, it is. Well, it okay, is, wait. No, you probably just have to say, I think there's somebody that needs to hear yeah. you say that South Africa is well structured because when we're dealing with load shedding and um, uh, trains not working and public transport not working, the last thing we think is well structured, right? Okay, so. So uh, it, yeah, it's well structured here. Yeah. It is at least, it works 70%. Sure. In Nigeria, that woman has to be her electricity, she has to be her water, she has to be her hospital, Yo. she has to be her household, she has to be every single thing. And Yo. so that comes out from the money that she makes. Mm. So when you hear in Nigeria that this woman is a very successful woman, you absolutely cannot imagine what she's had to go through to get there. What she's had to go through to Yo. get to a level where people will say she is successful.
Mm. If she is selling food, she doesn't have that kitchen or the electricity. She uses the firewood. Yeah. So if she moves above the firewood down to, you know, up to the, the level where she has to have the kitchen and the, the, the stuff, that tells you how much she has sacrificed from the open cooking to the indoor cooking. Mm. So the tenacity to survive as a female entrepreneur in Nigeria can only be imagined yeah. by the Nigerian. Outside Nigeria, nobody can imagine it. You don't want to know because your generator is running from morning till night. Yeah. You have no power from nowhere. And how does, I mean, how does that set you up or set you apart? Because, I mean, clearly, I, I'm just like thinking with that kind of tenacity when you have to come, when you have to overcome those odds yeah. just to get to the business. Not even, you know, your yeah. business isn't even making yeah. money yet. What does that do for your psyche and your work ethic? That's the reason why if you drop a Nigerian in the Sahara Desert, if you drop a Nigerian in the Sahara Desert, they'll sell sand <laughs> to the people that have been living there since and they will buy. We have, that is our ability to succeed because we have to succeed. Yo. You just have to succeed. We create things out of nothing. I'm an example yeah. It's 10 years I've spent in this country. So when you, you separate 10 years was when I started at Miabo. At Miabo is different from Miabo Enedike. Miabo Enedike is what people know me as in Nigeria. Yeah. Yes. The artist. At Miabo was but in this country. Wow. And it's bigger than Miabo Enedike. Because I looked and I said, no, I have to make something out of this stay in this place. That's how the Nigerian thinks. What can I do? How do I survive? Yeah. What, what are the needs? So, and we think fast. So that's just it. Mm. <laughs> I'm loving that. I'm really loving it. And um, when you've, I mean, you've traveled quite a bit. So yeah. um, any insights from how women are doing business around the world? And um, women are, it's the same thing. Women, it doesn't matter, you know, what race or when a woman wakes up and says, I want to pursue my career. She's made up her mind. No, she has. Yeah. That's it's all well yeah. thought out. And she's going to pursue her career. Yes. And so it's the same attitude. They're focused. They're diligent. They're emotional about what they're doing, yes. which is passion. Sure. So they're very passionate. So I've learned from so many women, you know, traveling. When I sit down and we have coffee and they tell me about their art process. And why now they're selling a painting for a hundred thousand dollars? <laughs> then you understand how they got there. You know what they had to do. The ones who were waiting tables and painting, you know, looking out for, you know, different gigs that they could show up yes, and you know yes. show their art, or or the ones who were um, whose husbands actually in the music industry or one thing and they had to follow the husbands, you know, they were the ones <laughs> doing the album covers and all that. They had no identity and suddenly they decided for themselves to say, no, I think I should take my craft to another level. There are those people and they're successful. Sure. 
I'm feeling inspired. I'm not an artist, um, but I'm feeling very inspired, and I'm sure all artists listening now <laughs> should be feeling ready to do that thing. Yeah. Pinterest is your friend, buddy. Yeah. So I just want to ask you, I Amina, mean, uh, um, what are some of the things that help you keep your your values in check? Um, you have a lot of roles in your life. Um, yeah. You, yeah. Maybe li- coming back to that earlier conversation, um, I want to know about your values, but I also want to know how do you manage to. Raise three children, be married um, happily, uh, <laughs> and travel between countries so often, and still find time to hone your craft and probably be a friend and a sister yeah. and all the other things. Um, it's not easy. It's it's difficult, um, especially if you're married to someone that everybody knows. <laughs> so, so you have to set like a standard for yourself. Okay. Which is standard for yourself that. Um, does not diminish who you are and also does not diminish who your husband is. Hmm. Wow. It's very, very wow. important. Yes. It's, it's not about you. That's the first thing sure. that comes to your mind. It's not about you. And when you discover that it is not about you, you'll find that things fall in place. You're going to have a man yeah. who is willing to help you out and talk about you. My husband sells my art for me. Me, I'm not there. He's like, oh, <laughs> you need to see my wife's listening because there is no competition. Sure. I respect what he does. If he has to travel, he has to do, he travels a lot. So if he has to go somewhere, I pull back every sure. exhibition. I just cancel my appearances. What I do, I send the work because he has to go. Both of us cannot be on, on the flight. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. And so um, we try as much as possible not to engage in each other's space. That's mm. uh, you understand. He respects my decisions on on decisions I make concerning my art, and I respect the decisions cons- he makes concerning his spot. Then we look after our kids together. Mm. If I'm not around, he's home. Sure. If he's not around, I'm home. Come on. So the kids know, and then the. Whole value, we're very strong Christians. Yes, we are, but we don't look it, but we know Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, and we brought our kids up in that way. And then sure. I've known America since I was six years old, so I'm what? married to like my friend, what? my brother. Yes, so that's how long. And I'm 48, he's 51. You look good, by the so, way. You so look good. That's <laughs> how long we've known each other, so, so it's good. Yo. I really like what you said. I'm I'm challenged also by what you said. It's not about you. No, it's not. I feel like that's a word in season for me right now. <laughs> um, navigating so many things and, and feeling often you can feel hard done by, you know, yes, as a yes. wife, you're like, ah, I'm pulling more of the weight here. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. always the one that's picking up this. But I think your, your mindset is really a challenge to me. So thank yeah. you for that today. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just as we wrap up, I want to go into a section called Rapid Fire. Yeah. I'm just going to throw some questions at you and you just tell me the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> A song that gets you through the day. Um, Shaka Khan, Through the Fire. <laughs> <laughs> a book that's changed the way you think about work. Um, Small Things by, I, I don't remember the author, but it's about two artists. Um, um, Jasper John, and I've forgotten the other artists, but you know how they, they turned the whole um, New York trash into, into art. Yeah. Oh, okay. A gadget or app that helps you work smarter? Oh, my phone. <laughs> my phone. <laughs> your advice to your younger self? Be focused. <laughs> Three things that keep you centered? 
my husband okay god first <laughs> my husband second and my kids awesome one thing you do to overcome distraction my walk how do you keep your soul in check jesus <laughs> <laughs> your advice to younger working women just be yourself and your advice to senior women leaders sincerity of purpose say that again sincerity of purpose wow there are too many senior women conning younger people they're not telling the truth mm. powerful Sure, Miyabo, it has been a pleasure having you here on this rainy day in Johannesburg. I apologize to all our listeners if the sound is somewhat hindered, but um, the quality of the content is going to get you through the raindrops <laughs> in the background. Thank you so much for making the time. I know you need to go home and sleep now because <laughs> you are sleep deprived. But thank you for taking time to be here with us and sharing your wisdom with us. Where can people get hold of you and where can they view your art? Um, they can go to atmiabo.com. Uh, they can go to facebook.com slash atmiabo. Or they can just Google Miabo and Google just give you, go to images and you see everything about me. So Awesome. <laughs> that's a brand that speaks for itself. Yeah. Thank you for being here today. Really Thank much you appreciated. so much. It's an honor. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode brought to you by Audiodacious, your audio content partner. Give your brand a voice with Audiodacious for podcasting, IVR and audio content solutions. Check us out at audiodacious.com. Today's listener question comes from Bootle, originally from KZN, and she sent me this question. I'm very keen to start my own non-profit organization. How do I go about it? Thanks for your question, Bootle, and I salute your courage in wanting to make a meaningful difference. Well done, lady. In one of my other roles, I work for a non-profit organization, and I've also volunteered at various NGOs over the years. So I know there are quite a few practicalities and processes involved. But there are also some harder personal questions I think you should ask yourself before doing this. Because in South Africa and in some other parts of the world too, it's become harder for small NPOs to gain traction, to attract funding and to actually make the impact that they desire. So this is not to discourage you at all. No, no, no. Because we know that nothing worthwhile comes without some effort. So all strength to you, lady. The online platform Ask Inyatelo suggests that before you even start an NGO, you ask yourself these questions. Number one, are you able to invest lots of time and or money? If no, don't start an NGO. Just find things you can do to help others. If yes, here's your next question. Do you want to be responsible for the success of the organization? If no, find another organization to volunteer at or support. If yes, question three. Are you willing to share responsibility with others and work with a group to accomplish your aims? If no, just do the good work you can on your own. 
If yes, number four, are you willing to relinquish ultimate control of the work to build something not centered around you, which will possibly outlast you? If no, same as above. If yes, number five, finally, are you willing to be accountable to others, to answer to donors or beneficiary communities or stakeholders and account for how your time and money are spent? If yes, go ahead and start that NGO. Sure, it sounds like a lot, but because this is such meaningful work, I think emotionally you really have to be ready um, to lead something that makes a difference in the lives of others, but often comes at a personal cost to you. So if you're ready to start that NGO, you'll need to complete an NPO application form at your nearest provincial social development office. Now that process has quite a few important steps and I don't have the time to adequately answer those. But I strongly advise that you check out these sites for more advice. ngopulse.org askinyatelo.org.za and the Department of Social Development on dsd.gov.za I wish you all the best as you start this great work, lady. We need more people who are willing to make a difference without needing the profit to back it up. If you're listening to this episode and you've started an NPO, would you please share your advice with Bushley on our Instagram page or via our WhatsApp line on plus two seven six zero nine two one six nine seven seven. Please remember to subscribe to Hungry Women at Work on iTunes, Iona FM, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a review as it really helps build our channel. If you haven't, please just send me an email privately and quietly. <laughs> Till next time, thanks for tuning in and keep thriving without losing your soul.